Good evening. We're in the home stretch in this series that we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. So let me encourage you to open your Bibles to chapter 15. Tonight we're going to cover one of the richest passages in the entire book. Whenever you've lost someone to death very close to you or maybe heard the news of a bad diagnosis, these verses may have come to mind or someone may have shared them with you. Because for the Christian, this chapter has a way of putting life's most difficult moments into perspective. The fear of dying, the fear of death, is one of the greatest fears of all, of all time. And the desire to live is one of the strongest drives that God instilled within us. But in this passage, in this chapter, Paul gives a lot of attention to the resurrection because evidently in Corinth... This was disputed, it was not sure, there's a lot of talk going on, and so Paul wants to make sure that the church of Corinth is settled in this. He spends about the first half of the chapter reminding us that if there is no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus did not come back from the grave, then all this is futile. All this religious stuff, all that we're doing, all that we're believing, all that we're saying, it makes no sense at all. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, we might as well squeeze as much joy and fun and pleasure as we can because when it's over, it's over. I mean, that's what he's saying. That's the message there. That is, unless, unless Jesus did come back. From the grave. Because if Jesus did conquer the grave, and we believe he did, then our focus in this life should be on eternity and not just the here and now. If there is an afterlife, then every day of this life should be lived looking forward to that life. And that's life changing. Our focus should be very different. So, what I'm going to do in our study guide, I mean, our study tonight, if you've got a study guide, you'll see this a couple of blanks to fill in. Because the resurrection is true. So Paul makes this point. The resurrection is true. And because it's true, he makes three suggestions. The first is this. Wise up. If the resurrection is true, then wise up. Your earthly focus is foolish and sinful. Now, it must have been hard for the Corinthians to keep focused on this fact, this truth. And, and so maybe they got sucked into the illogical argument that, argument that it was impossible for Jesus to come back from the dead. So Paul, in this chapter, just systematically chips away at that to, to make the case, to, to prove his point, to make sure all the detractors, all the doubters would be silenced. Look there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, pick up in verse 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is making some really strong statements here. If there's no resurrection, 
Every dollar you've ever given, every penny you've ever given to the cause of Christ has been a total waste. If there's no resurrection, pledging your allegiance to the one who claims to be the resurrection and the life, it's a joke. If there's no resurrection, then every one of us who's ever committed ourselves to ministry, ever taught a Bible class, ever served someone else in the name of Jesus, we're the biggest imposters ever. But what if it's true? What if it's true? What if Christ conquered the grave as He predicted He would? What if disciples really did interact with the resurrected Lord, talk with Him, share with Him, eat with Him? And just like the Bible says, they died a martyr's death. Don't forget that. What if the Bible really means what it says earlier in the same chapter that Jesus appeared to, to 500 people and some of those people are still living at the time that Paul wrote these words? What Paul is saying, I beg you to check the facts. Please, double check this. What if his resurrection could somehow pave the way to ours? What Paul is saying is he's wrapping up this letter is, this is big. This is huge. If you don't get this, just close the book and go home. You've got to make sure you understand this. Wouldn't you want to know if his resurrection would make a way for your resurrection? Look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So we need to wake up to things that are eternal. This is not just some fringe religious group fixated on their founder, thinking, hey, they found the one. This is the one. We're talking about the Messiah here. There's a good reason why our entire civilization's dating system is based on this man. Because he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And that's the way our calendars reflect that everything comes back to Christ. Everything pointed to Christ. Now, Paul points out two things that we can do to wise up. The first, he says this, get rid of bad friends. Get rid of bad friends. We usually think of this verse maybe directed more toward our young people. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This is not just for young people, for teenagers. This is for all people. Everyone of every age. Think back to some of the earlier things we pointed out in this series. What you know about the church at Corinth. It was a very immoral culture. This was a city... This was an area where it was perfectly normal to have this shrine, this temple, where part of the worship was of a thousand prostitutes. Imagine if one of those was your sister, or your mom, or your daughter. That was normal for these people. They thought nothing of it. It was common for them. Sexual immorality was rampant. You had to be quite intentional if you're going to live a distinctive, godly life. So Paul says this phrase. Look in your Bible there. Bad company corrupts good character. Most translations have that in quotes. Not all, but most of them do. Because he's quoting from a Greek poet, Menander. And so Paul picks up on the wisdom of the statement. The people would have already heard this. They would have known this. They would have been familiar with it. But it's still true. 
So Paul says this here, bad company corrupts good character. And it's not just, again, a word for the teenagers. We all need to hear this. It's a focused, intentional approach to life that you surround yourself with people that are going to help you get to heaven. They're on the same road as you. Because we know the environments that we grow up in make an effect on our lives. If you're a young married lady and you've got a good group of friends or maybe in a similar situation, they're young and they're married except for their marriage is miserable and they're always griping about their deadbeat husbands and they think nothing of flirting with others and going out clubbing, it won't be long until that negativity and that temptation is going to rub off on you as well. So don't be surprised at that. Sometimes Christians will defend their actions when they are associating with people like that and say, well, I want to be an example to them. I want to be a light to them. And we are to be a light to them. Sometimes that happens. But sometimes they bring us down. I think we have to have some spiritual wisdom and discernment there. I think it was Chuck Swindle who said this, have you noticed that the glove always gets muddy but the mud never gets glovey. Makes a good point, doesn't he? Maybe you've heard the phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you're a man who travels for your job and your fellow employees take that as an opportunity to take a break from your marriage vows or your values, that may be the very opportunity for you to be willing to go it alone. You turn in early. You take a separate cab. You go back to the hotel and you spend your evening with something that's productive and not promiscuous. If you're retired and the people that you spend a lot of time with, you find out they're complaining and they're negative, always critical, then maybe you need to challenge them to take the high road. Think about what Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 8 about what you think about, what is right and pure and lovely, and admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. You don't hear negative and complaining in there at all. Think on these things, he says. Otherwise, maybe it's time to make some new friends. It's the difference between being earthly focused or heavenly minded. So the question is, what's your goal? Is it to blend in or to stand up? Is it drift along or swim against the current? So he says, first, get rid of bad friends. And then he says, get to know God. Look there in verse 34. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So get to know God. To say that some are ignorant of God, that's not a compliment at all. God must become your focus. It means you've got to put forth some effort to change from the temporal, to eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, to living for the afterlife, to every decision in this life is impacted by where you're going. That's your goal. There is real joy, deep abiding joy in a relationship with God. But being philosophers, the Greeks, they reason in their mind, there's no way to explain the resurrection of the body. So Paul's reasoning is very straightforward. You might even read this and say, it's kind of in your face. He's rather blunt with his statements here. He calls them foolish and tries to help them to see this is not some rebuilt body. This is, that's not the resurrection at all. It's not taking the old pieces and, 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 and doing something with that. You see, the Bible tells us we'll have a glorified body. And according to some stories that Jesus tells his followers, we're going to be able to recognize each other in heaven. Warren Wiersbe points out the resurrection is not reconstruction. 
The resurrection isn't a rebuilding or a reconstruction of used parts. Instead, it's a glorified body. Let me mark this verse down, Philippians 3, verse 20. You remember this? And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like His glorious body. So because of the resurrection, we need to wise up and understand the implications of the resurrection. But number two, we also need to look up. We also need to look up because the Lord's return is certain. You want to stay positive? Then you look up. That's how you do it. He will return. And Christians can be assured of that fact. If you're filling the blank, here's the first one. We need to prepare for His turn because it could be at any moment. We need to know that and believe that and live like that. Look at verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The Lord is coming back. We should be thinking about that all the time. It's imminent. And He's alerted us to His intention. So, it's not a surprise. He told us He's coming. He's promised us He's coming. And He writes these things, not that we dread it, but that it's good news. That we look forward to it. And we know that God has kept every promise He ever made. And we have no reason to think that He's not going to keep this one. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us to look up, to prepare for His coming, to make sure we're focused on that, that we anticipate that, that we pray, Lord, come quickly. And not just some saying that we repeat, but that we mean it. So many today, and it seems more and more, don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to follow Him. And they would say those who follow Christ are small-minded. It's for those who can't think for themselves. And maybe it's just egomaniacs who are just trying to get a following for those who need someone to lead them. I'm constantly amazed at the people who are willing to roll the dice when it comes to where they will spend eternity. They close their eyes, they close their minds to the evidence that is all around them That there is a divine creator who made us in his own image. They deny his existence and they put up a wall of defense because they don't want to hear the facts. They don't want to hear what the Bible says. And it's usually based out of convenience. Really more of a desire, I think, to be able to do their own thing, live their own lives. Listen to this quote from Rabbi Zacharias. He said, a man rejects God neither because of intellectual demands nor because of the scarcity of evidence. A man rejects God because of a moral resistance that refuses to admit his need for God. I think he's right. So what about this Jesus Christ? Is he real? Is God real? Each night when you place your head on the pillow in your heart of hearts, do you know what you believe? When you pray to God, is it truly, Lord, come quickly? If I die before I wake? You may not use those words, but is that what you believe? I want the Lord to take me. The Lord wants you to have a relationship with you. The Lord who created you. The Lord who created heaven for you. The Lord who sent His Son for you. He wants you to believe and He wants you to know that He's there for you. And He wants you to come home with Him. So there's this longing that we have. That we're, we're built, we're made for somewhere else. 
You probably know this already. Over the dome of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., there is an inscription that puts life in perspective. It reads like this. One God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. How true. One day, you'll either die or Jesus Christ will return. But either way, we are moving toward that far-off divine event where we will all stand before the Lord and give an answer as to what do we believe. Do we believe in Jesus or not? Are we following Him or not? Look at verse 53. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has become clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I put a couple of quotes on your study guide, and they're on the screen as well. I want you to compare these two. The first is from the founder of psychiatry, Sigmund Freud. He writes these words, And finally there is a painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. If you were to sum up that in one word, the word I would suggest to you is futility. Look what he says there. And finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. How gloom and doom is that? Now compare that to the words of Jesus from John eleven thirty twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. How do you summarize that? How do you encapsulate that? I would put the word hope. Because that's the good news. Understand this. Christians have victory in death. Christians have victory over death. So we then, fill in the blank, should have an attitude of gratitude for what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Now, His life was amazing. Even His birth was miraculous. His teachings were like none other. His death on the cross was like nothing we'd ever seen before. But His resurrection was more than just the icing on the cake. The resurrection changes everything. Frank Peretti tells the story of a family that was driving on family vacation when a bumblebee flew into the car. The little boy, the son, was deathly allergic. In fact, was one time stung by a bee and almost died. And so he knew when that bee came inside, he had to take some swift action. He quickly pulled the car off the road and he grabbed the bee with his bare hands. The whole time, the little boy is just screaming because he knows for him how bad it is and how serious it is. But that dad, as he grabbed the bee, he grimaced, and then he let go. And the bee flew off. Well, the little boy wasn't sure what just happened, so he started screaming again because now the bee is loose. And the dad said this, Don't worry, son, you don't have to be afraid. And their father showed him the palm of his hand where the stinger was still there. And he said, it's okay. This is what could have killed you. But I took the sting for you. Now all it can do is buzz. 
Jesus did the same thing. That's why Paul could write, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear death. Now, we're afraid of death because we don't know, and that's okay and that's normal, but it had to consume you, especially like those who do not believe. If we understood how sinful we are and how dire our future apart from Christ would be, we would be so afraid of death because we can only imagine how terrible hell would be to be eternally separated from God. But when we grasp that we've been forgiven... We can't help but be thankful. That's what Paul is writing here. Do you realize when you commit your life to following Jesus Christ, you're not just washed clean, you have the promise of eternal life. And Jesus takes the sting of death. That's the good news. And all you have to do is look at His nail-pierced hands to be reminded of that. Someday in heaven for the Christian, every wrong will be made right He will correct every inequity and cover every iniquity. He will reward people for all the things they did in secret and He's going to reject those who rejected Him. So how then do you respond? Well, third, because of the resurrection, because it's true, then you stand up. You stand up because your work is not in vain. Everything you do on behalf of Christ is important. So don't blow it off. Don't take it for granted. Don't get weary in doing good. You keep on. Take your work seriously. Do you remember me telling you the story, I think it was several years ago, about the lady who took her work so seriously. She was a receptionist at the doctor's office. One time a little man came in and said, I'm here to see the doctor. I've got an appointment. And she said, okay, go down the hall, third door on the right, take off all your clothes. He said, well, you don't understand. I do have an appointment, but it's just for this mole. I'm just going to get this mole checked. And she said, down the hall, third door on the right, take off all your clothes. He said, ma'am, I think we have a miscommunication going on here. I have an appointment to see the doctor, but it's just this moment. I don't think, no, we do have a miscommunication problem because you're not listening. Go down the hall, third door on the right, take off all your clothes. Well, he gave up. Went down the hall, third door on the right, opened the door to his shot. There's another man already in there in his boxers, huddled in the corner. He said, what about that lady up there? I mean, she's the beast. And he says, tell me, I'm just a UPS driver. She was taking her job seriously. We're talking about our work for the Lord here. We need to take that seriously. Look in verse 8, because it makes an eternal difference. 58, I'm sorry. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul is saying spiritually, you've got to wake up. No matter how bad it is out there, no matter how going to hell the whole world is, the whole city is, the whole country is, and we kind of feel the same way, don't we? You keep your perspective here. Your work, what you do, who you are for the Lord, it matters. It matters to God. You ever been given an assignment at school? that you worked so hard at and then the teacher sort of dismissed it? Or maybe a project at work and, and, and you gave it your all and you did the homework, you did the research and you gave it to your, your boss and, and they didn't even look at it. It's like, that's so disgusting. You, you feel so futile. Why did you pour yourself? It's so, what a meaningless, colossal waste of time. 
And Paul makes it clear in this chapter, if Christ is not raised from the dead, if it's all just a myth, if it's just hearsay, it's an exercise in futility. And I would wholeheartedly agree. Say, let's go home. Let's stop doing all of this. But Paul says, no. Your labor's for the Lord. Your witness. Your example. Your serving. It all counts. In fact, it's the most important thing you do. Your work is significant and crucial to the kingdom of God. What you do every day, living for the Lord, looking for His return, it's not in vain. It has substance and purpose. This one truth that Jesus came back from the grave should motivate us not just to wise up and look up, but also to stand up. Let your voice be heard. You look for the opportunity to speak truth to people in situations. You work hard and be faithful in changing the world one moment at a time. In your own sphere of influence, you've heard this question before, but what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Because Christ was raised from the dead, you can too. That's the good news of this chapter. And it's true that not everyone is going to heaven. And that's why our work, our influence, our example, our speaking up, our reaching out has eternal significance. That's why we can keep it to ourselves. That's why we've got to reach out. And we don't have to apologize. We don't have to make excuses or compromise. And I believe, and you do too, that we're coming to a... a crossroads in our country, in our culture, where we're going to be tested like never before. And we need to stand for the truth. Like the modern proverb says, if a man's not willing to stand for something, then he's liable to fall for anything. The Judeo-Christian values on which this country was founded are constantly being threatened. And being a Christian can no longer be considered part of the norm or just what you do. You've got to be deliberate about it. It's who you are. So keep the big picture in mind. Keep things in perspective. Because stock markets, sports scores, job security, gas prices are always going to go up and down. But all those things pale in comparison to where you'll spend eternity. See, as strange as it sounds, earth is not what you were made for. It's where God created mankind. But ultimately, we were made to go to heaven with Him. That's His goal. That's His design. Heaven is to be your final address. And Paul reminds us, I'm going to share this verse again, Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. That's our passport. That's where we're going. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they, will be, that they will be like His glorious body. So ultimately, we don't belong here. We're visitors. The Bible calls us aliens. And sometimes we feel that way, don't we? With all the sin, sin and disease and sickness and pain and suffering... Those who have their faith in God are on the journey. We're in transition and someday, someday we get to go home. And we want to get there. It's our final home. Remember the words of the song? This world is not my home. 
I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You ever days, you ever have days where it just feels so true? I can't feel at home in this anymore. It's like the more you grow in the Lord, the more your heart is with Him, and, and you're just putting in treasures in heaven with Him, and you look forward to the day where you get to totally be with Him. And you're not at home in this world anymore. Your house is like a hotel. You're not going to spend your time dwelling on all of this stuff because it's just stuff. You're looking forward to going with Him in heaven. And some days it seems that message is loud and clear when our society seems to have morals that are eroding. We know in our heart of hearts that this world is not it at all. So it begs the question, then why why do we live like it is it? Why are we so consumed with it? Why are we more earthly focused than heavenly minded? Why are we more impressed, more focused with impressing others than we are pleasing God? Why are we so consumed with pleasing ourselves than we are glorifying God? Especially in a lot of the words of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, 27, where it says, It's appointed unto a man once to die and then to face the judgment. That's what that inscription was talking about, right? That divine event. See, God wants you to experience the same resurrection that Jesus did. He went first so that you could have the resurrection. He wants to have that to look forward to. Because He knows that when that happens, everything changes. Everything changes. If you're in Christ... There is no grave deep enough. No ocean deep enough. No crypt secure enough that can hold you. The same power that brought Jesus back from the grave will work in you also. That's the good news of the cross and the empty tomb. And with the saints of old, we'll say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? But thanks to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me be like Paul and be blunt. If you are not looking forward to the Lord's return, you've got a problem. There's something you don't understand. There's something you don't believe. But it's not something to dread. Now, I'm not saying that we'd be unrealistic and we look forward to death. That's not what I'm saying. We're looking forward to what comes after death. The afterlife. And so that affects everything we do in this life. And so when that diagnosis comes, do we cry or are we shot? Yes, just like everybody else. But unlike everybody else, we know this is just temporary. And in, in some ways... It's a release. It's a relief because we get to go to heaven now. We can look forward to it. Did I just say that? I think I did. That's because of the empty tomb. So you don't live your life in fear. 
You live every day looking forward to the Lord coming back. And if you hear the thunder, you wonder, is that Him? You eagerly await His coming. You pray, Lord, come quickly. You teach your children to live that way. You teach your Bible class that way. And your friends who maybe don't quite believe like you, when they ask, what is it? You can explain the very thing that Paul talks about here. It's because of the empty tomb. All this death and suffering. I'm tired of it. Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you ready to go home? We're going to sing a song to encourage you because we don't know when it's going to be. It could be soon and very soon, as the Lord said. As we sing this song to encourage you, maybe for you it's a day of salvation to confess Jesus. Let Him make you a new creation as you're baptized and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or for you, it's, if it's faith, if it's discouragement, it's for you to, to grow in your understanding. If we can pray for you at all, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?